welcome to the eighth episode in an old season of Mason Race Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always is the Canadian who I'm pretty sure has a video featuring the line, come on baby, hump it, hump, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the lady who has the occasional problem with sticky contacts when on the podcast, Michelle Pistanovan. What? <laughs> Hi. What? It's Derek and Drew, I think, at the road vlog. Yeah, Derek had issues with his contact lenses. Uh, Being sticky. Yuck. That is an image you really want on an Amazing Race episode. Mmm, my contact lenses are sticky. Look, I could never wear contacts because I, you know, when I was younger, I used to get allergies, so I could never wear contacts. Mind you, I only wear glasses for like I was reading like blackboard and whiteboard and to drive. But yeah, I'd like to get contacts to like put blue eyes in for a change. That'd be nice. Like costume contacts. Yeah. Yeah. And another really fun episode, this one. We usually don't enjoy Switzerland episodes on the podcast, and by we, I mean me. But this one's a pretty good one. It's definitely the biggest, it's the one bridge episode of the whole season, because after we've absolutely gone through eliminating this cast, seven legs in a row, just boom, you're gone, you're gone, you're out of here, you're out of here. And then this episode is a lot slower. There's about four or five equalizers, I think, this episode. Where the teams, the five teams are constantly together, and they're constantly having to ride trains together and ferries, so they're they're also talking to each other all the time. And also, about ten minutes of this episode is just dedicated to people running up an alpine hill. Yeah, and the other another ten minutes is dedicated to everyone speculating on the relationship between Flo and Drew, and Flo and Ken, and Flo and Zach. <laughs> Just a quick programming note to begin with, episode 9 and 10 and 12 and 13 did air as pairs on their respective nights. We will be covering them in separate weeks of this podcast, so you will get episode 9 next week, then 10 the week after, and then 11 as normal, 12 the week after that, and 13 is the the final week. We're not doing them as double episodes. And one thing we forgot to mention from last episode is that Derek and Drew and Ken and Gerard officially ended their alliance right after the roadblock. They said, oh. It's a self-drive to the Nuschenstein Castle. Nuschwanstein. Nuschwanstein Castle. (laughs) So I I was pronouncing it the Phil Kogan way. It's a Sleeping Beauty Castle. That's how you pronounce it. Yeah. The brother, the brotherhood crumbles, is what they said. So now, and then Derek and Drew say, "Oh, the alliances are done with for the season." Why? Yeah. Why? Why? It's very early still. Yeah, I don't think Derek. I think Derek and Drew decide that all alliances are over for about five minutes. Yeah, bearing in mind there are still six episodes of this season left, three of which are going to be non-elimination. Yeah, the five teams that we have left are definitely the core five teams that this season is remembered for. Yeah, well, four teams in Jumpy and Jill. Well, two of the teams get brought back for All Stars. One team is like one of the biggest fan favorites ever. Another team has one of the most legendary wins in all of reality TV history. And one team who makes one of the biggest Amazing Race blunders ever. Perhaps the first major blunder on Amazing Race. Well, after Heather and Eve. And one of the teams who's brought back for All-Stars maybe isn't brought back because of their performance on this season. Yeah. So previously, teams raced to Munich in Germany, Flo and Zach argued over money before Terry helped the twins with a missing clue, which wasn't repaid by Derek and Drew. Flo and Zach took the fast forward and won the leg, Ken and Gerard had a bad day with a broken alliance and a burst tyre, but it was Andre and Damon who were eliminated from the race. And in his intro, Phil finally admits 
eight episodes into the season that Terry and Ian are a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> and something we did forget to mention at the pit stop last leg is that there was a table of beers at the pit stop, and we see pretty much everyone just drinking steins of beer, and Florence Axe is entirely head. There is no beer in that pint. What? Did you not notice this? Ken and Gerard no. was pretty much full of actual beer, but Flo and Zach's was like all head. There was no proper beer in that in that stein. It's very strange. Ken and Gerard do the thing where like you wrap your arm around the other person's arm and then drink the, and drink the drink beer. Yeah. And also, we see Gerard eat the largest pretzel I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's humongous. It was bigger than his face. <laughs> I'm definitely not clipping that. <laughs> and also, and the funny thing about this episode too is that at the start of it, Phil Phil does something that he doesn't that in any other season he doesn't do until the finales, which is summarize all of the teams who are left for the final leg or the final two hour finale. Yeah. So here we're 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 still way really early on in the season. It's still. Episode, it's only episode eight out of thirteen, and Phil decides to recap all five teams. And I'm thinking they really didn't have much footage to fill up this episode. Yeah, and to be fair to them, also half of these six episodes are going to feature exactly these five teams. Mm. They kind of need to make us like all five of these teams because we're going to be spending a lot of time with them. And they're and I think the reason why they did it, why Phil decided to break down all five remaining teams on this leg is also because when all five teams are constantly traveling together, that means there isn't really any separate footage. Like everyone's going to be sharing that same, you know, that those same scenes they are going to be in the same shots together. So it's not like two teams are on the first flight together and then they do the whole leg and then the next two teams, and the next two teams here, it's all five teams are all together. They're on every train together <laughs> They're going to take boat rides together, and they're all going to be in the pit stop, I think, probably within like 10 minutes of each other. And plus all the alliances that are happening, too, where people are constantly working together. It's like, yeah, I can I can see why they didn't have too much footage to, uh, to pull from, especially in a country like Switzerland, where it's not exactly culture shock. And we also do see the beginnings of some flirting from Drew and Flo at the pit stop. We saw it a little bit in the airport. In uh, in Morocco, we see it pretty much full on here because it's the one storyline of this episode. Yep. Yeah, I think it's the only thing that the teams really talk about in this episode. And Flo and Zach, who were the first to arrive this morning, rather than at ten o two a.m., they depart at ten o two p.m. with Derek and Drew at twelve forty four a.m., John Vito and Jill at twelve forty five, Terry and Ian at twelve fifty three, and Ken and Gerard at two forty two. And teams have to now drive themselves to the Augustinehof farm and literally find a clue in a haystack. Much to Ken and Gerard's amusement, as I'm sure, they have to use the same car that they drove in the previous leg, and a map is in close reference, and they have $240 for this leg of the race, because they're going to Switzerland, and they'll need it. And once they find the clue in the haystack, in addition to getting the fast-forward information which nobody takes, they have to then drive themselves to the Friedrichshafen ferry terminal, and take a ferry to Romanshorn, then a train to the Rhinefall, where they will find the next clue. And the next ferry isn't until 5.41am. Um, why did Flo say I don't, she doesn't want to touch the hay? The hay that I've ever come into contact with is quite clean. It's just hay, unless it's dirty hay that has all poo in it. 
And the most hey we get on this podcast normally is you going, hey. <laughs> hey. To start every sentence. It's just weird. Why does she think it's disgusting? I don't know. She lives in a city. She's probably not come across many farm animals. Yeah, like half the team's left are all from New York City. And and then when they get to the farm, Sack says, you know what? I'm going to climb on top of the hay. And Flo just thinks it's the funniest thing ever. Like, really? You're going to find the clue on top of the hay? There's no way. And then and then Zach finds it within two seconds. Do you think the interns who were doing that thought, we'll just hide one clue right at the top in case anyone wants to climb? Let's just have a bit of fun with this. I think Jill finds it on top of the hay, too. So I think they threw in like two or three clues right on top. And it's like, oh, there's the clue. And then that's when they find out all the information about the rainfall. Oh, and then the funny thing is when there's when they start navigating to get to the farm, Flo initially looks at the map and she says, you know what? Here, here, you look at this map. I can't figure it out. I don't know where the hell we're going. And then as soon as they get into the truck, so Zach's probably had about 30 seconds to look at this map. Flo <laughs> says, uh, do you know where, where you're going, where we're going? And then Zach says, based on that map that I've had a chance to look for at a minute, yes. <laughs> yes, I do think I know where we're going, based on the 30 seconds you've given me since you handed me the map. <laughs> Obviously, going into this season, you tend to go, Flo is the, the focus of their entire team. Zach is very underrated, sneaky funny in this season. <laughs> yeah, well, his quotes are usually muttered under his breath that I haven't really noticed until this viewing. Obviously, when you compare Flo and Zach to other teams, I'm thinking of Brooke and Scott. In Brooke and Scott's case, you hear Brooke's attitude, whatever you think of it, and then you remember Scott being a bit kind of snarky towards it. You don't think the same thing happens with Flo and Zach, but it really does. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't see him being that snarky because he's so laid back. I think if there's an odd comment, yeah. He is so laid back, but then you get comments like this one and him actually swearing at Flo, which Logan didn't remember when they got on the uh, on the ferry a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> I just yeah. drove for 12 fucking hours, Flo. <laughs> <laughs> so Terry and Ian leave the pit stop, saying that no matter if they're eliminated next or not, they've shown the young people that people of their age can be very competitive. You know, those ancient people, Terry and Ian, with an average age of 49 and a half. <laughs> And John Vito and Jill and Derek and Drew, after Derek and Drew swore never having another alliance, they have now have an alliance with John Vito and Jill to find the farm together. And both teams agree that if they run into Terry Nian, they're not going to tell him that they found it. Obviously, it's funny on the surface of it, but it just plays into what I was saying last week about how Derek and Drew are ever so slightly villainous, because they really enjoy lying to Terry and Ian here. Yeah, John Vino and Jill actually express some guilt because after both teams find the clue in the haystack, both teams have to drive by Terry and Ian and both get interrogated by the retired police officer. I know. I like don't lie to someone if you can be found out so easily because you're on the only road that goes to the actual destination. And also, more importantly, they've already got the clue as to that they're going to the ferry it probably tells them that the next ferry isn't until 5.41am. You can pretty much guarantee Terry and Ian are going to catch up by 5.41am. And Terry and Ian are not exactly ones to to let things go or not bear grudges. You're going to face some, some fury from Terry and or Ian for lying to them deliberately. 
and being caught lying to them deliberately. Yeah, like Ian asks Derek and Drew, oh, any luck? And then I think it's Derek who says, oh, still looking. And then as soon as they drive by, Derek and Drew say, oh, I love being deceitful. And then Terry and say the same thing that John Vito and Jill ask the same question that John Vito and Jill a minute later. And then and then John Vito says, oh, we don't know. We can't find it. And then as soon as they pull away from Terry and I remember my sister thought this interaction was absolutely hilarious when we were watching it. Uh, John Vito says, oh, my God, that was so rude what we just did. And then Jill chimes in saying, yeah, we're totally going to hell for that. <laughs> and then, of course, we get the ever so iconic Ian quote of, they found it. They just lied. It's like the second task in a row where Derek and Drew just go out of their way to troll Terry and Ian. What? We can, we're not going to give away information for free. No, we're not telling you where this farm is that, that you're going to find in like two seconds. I think we're getting to the point of the season where people really start coming around on Terry and Ian. Which is good, because, you know, I'm going to be singing their praises a lot. This leg especially. And then Ken and Gerard engage in some trash talk. They do, and interestingly, did you notice that Team O Brother was added to their lower third in this episode? No, I didn't. We get, for the third time this season, a nickname that gets added to the lower third and probably won't be there next episode. Editors were clearly having fun at times in the editing suite. And how did you know that it was 2002 when they got to the uh, the ferry port? There's one big clue. No idea. It was because Flo was wearing a Burberry bucket hat. And no one has worn Burberry since the early 2000s. <laughs> it's like frosted tips. It is the frosted tips of bucket hats. I love when Ian and Terry are at the farm because Ian is really intensely trying to search for the hay and Terry casually strolls up and eagle-eyes it from a distance and grabs it faster than anybody who did this task. And then if you pan slightly to the right, you can see you can see Lena in a field unraveling all of the hay bales. Yeah. I just love how Terry completely no-sells it. She's just like, walks in, plucks the clue, walks back out, tells him to get the fuck back in the car. If you ever doubted that the early seasons were about the adventure rather than the difficulty of the tasks themselves, here is Exhibit A. <laughs> I don't know, season six did have this task again, just searching for a clue hidden in a haystack. They may have upped the difficulty level just a wee bit. Yeah, just a little. I mean, I'm slightly simplifying it because it was 120 haystacks, but... That's splitting hairs. And over a period of 10 hours. Yeah. So after the train ride, John Vito and Jill struggle to find a taxi and get left behind. And when they do find a taxi, he is the world's slowest taxi driver. There is a debate on the boat as to whether they should take their bags with them. Everyone ends up deciding not to, but the boat leaves with their bags on it. They have to wait for the boat to come back with their bags, giving John Vito and Jill an advantage. I love how there was the taxi that had no driver in it. And then when... Zach and Ken, where they said, oh, what happened to John Vito and Jill? And I think Zach said, oh, I think I think John Vito and Jill's taxi wouldn't take them or something. It's like, that is not even close to what happened. He completely made that up. Hmm. He's just spreading lies for fun now. <laughs> and uh, one thing, one other thing I want to point out about the alliances is that John Vito and Jill and Flo and Zach, who were both involved in the twin hunt, have now frequently aligned with Derek and Drew over the past episode. Who they swore to get out of the race only like two or three episodes ago. Yes. Yeah. The, for a storyline that went on for three or four episodes now, both teams are like, you know what, we're, we're going we're gonna to align with Derek and Drew. It's no longer a twin hunt. It's a t- twin, twin friendship. 
we're just going to poach them from Ken and Gerard. The difference is, Flo is hunting for twins. Well, one particular twin by this point in the season. She misunderstood what the twin hunt actually was going to be. Oh, and Ken has a brutal quote to Flo. I think it might have been on the train. I think it was on the train ride. Yeah, it was on the train where, where they're together, and then Ken says to Flo, Zach's back hurts from carrying you all this way. <laughs> yeah, the difference is Flo just turns around and goes, I know. It's a hard life. Those were her exact words. It's a hard life for Zach. Yeah, because by this point in the season, Ken's actually allowed to take the piss out of Flo and get away with it because they're friends. And for some reason, Gerard does this evil, giggling, Chucky doll sound that he does twice by this point in this episode. Once is in the self-drive to the farm where he does evil giggling. And then for some reason, in the scramble to get a taxi to go to the Rhinefall, he does the same evil giggle again. So I have no idea where this trend came from. So once teams find the clue, they have to take a train to Zurich and reach an underground vault at the Lindenhof containing their next clue. And something very interesting, I thought, is John Vito and Jill, when they get there, they basically decide that John Vito is just going to run up and grab the clue while Jill stays with her bags on the, uh, on the boat. Isn't there a rule about distance? Yes, there is. Well, he's within 30 feet, just vertically. I think it's very interesting that they got away with that, because I don't think they'd get away with that anymore. Mm-hmm. True. I guess it was just so sudden of a decision, it was tough to enforce, especially with all the other chaos, with four teams freaking out if they would get their bags back. And I was thinking, that'd be a hell of a twist. John Avito and Jill have their bags. Four other teams don't for the rest of the season. <laughs> I just, I feel like that would not have happened in a more recent series. I think they would have definitely enforced that she would have had to take those bags off that boat. I guess it just depends how quick somebody steps in and say, no, Jill, you have to run up too. Because it wasn't that much of a climb. No, it was probably about 100 feet. But then everyone else would have had to take their bags off too. Yeah, but in terms of if you're going to leave Jill with the bags, she has to take those bags off that boat and stay with you. It's more the distance than the actual taking the bags off the boat thing. Yeah. Just the only reason she stayed on the boat was because she was guarding the bags. And then Derek and Drew's taxi driver to the Rhinefall. That guy looked rather homeless. He was like wearing a tattered shirt and pants. I'm thinking, how, how is this guy a taxi driver? He didn't look more homeless than Tico did. Oh, true, Tico, yeah. <laughs> That's probably a mole reference. It is a mole reference. It's um, it's a guy who was originally on Hong Kong and Philippines and then came back for Renaissance, who I joked in the first episode had evidently become homeless during his uh, mm. during the gap between his seasons because he looked like he lived under a bridge. So John Vito and Jill are told to take a bus to Schaffhausen train station, but the other four learn that there is a train station at Rhinefall that boards the same train. And they do all end up on the same train, not knowing that John Vito and Jill are also on there. Yeah, I like how John Vito and Jill spot them on the train, but they decide to just hide away and completely shock the teams and appear in the scramble. And then we get the sequel to the awkward camera work with the camera running around Flo in Cozumel, where they try to get her to narrate. We're going to get the same treatment with Gerard as the camera keeps running, running circles around Gerard, where he has to say, well, John Vito and Jill, we thought we were behind us, but I guess they're here now. And Ken and Gerard do interrogate Flo and her and Zach's relationship. She admits that she'd rather be with Drew. And we actually hear Ian pipe up from behind her, saying not to mess with Zach, as he's a really nice guy. Yeah, he says, Zach is a hell of a nice guy. Don't let him get away. Zach puts up with all your bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) 
And then Kem says, Drew's hot, Flo's hot, everybody's hot. And then Ian chimes in saying, my God, it's chili pepper time. <laughs> Despite the reputation that Terry and Ian have got with them all hating Ian, I think that might be a bit disingenuous. I think they like Ian, they just don't necessarily like racing against Ian. Even Terry doesn't like running with Ian. I think she has a quote this episode where she says, Ian just gets so excited that he is always running out 10 steps ahead of me and, and just insists I always keep up with him. Yeah, that's on the way to the boat. Yeah. yeah. Terry, come. <laughs> oh yeah, and Ken threatens to, to beat up Drew. He says he thinks he would kick Drew's ass and make Flo his girl. <laughs> so once teams get to the underground vault, they find out that it is the detour, which is count the money or run the numbers. In Count the Money, teams must count the Swiss francs that are in a fishbowl in front of them to get the six-digit code that will open their safe containing the next clue. In Run the Numbers, teams must search Zurich for three numbers, which need to be placed side by side to open the same safe with the clue in it. Which one would you guys have picked? Oh, not Count the Money. Look at all that money in there. That was insane. I think this one is slightly less easier choice of detour. What would you have done? It would depend, I think, because running the numbers is probably the obvious choice, and I mean, everyone ends up doing it. But if you were the only team to pick count the money, that would work. If there was more than one team there, then you definitely pick run the numbers. But if you're the only team, count the money is a potentially okay option because you don't have anyone distracting you. There were so many coins, though. There were, but because they're all different sizes, you can just stack them like Ken and Gerard were trying to do and just count those then. I would probably still have done run the numbers, but I wouldn't necessarily have discounted count the money as quickly as I would some detour options this season. Mm. Yeah, I think Steve and Dave would have done count the money because run the numbers would involve running. <laughs> the thing about run the numbers as well is that one of the answers you need is the numbers on a clock face. And unless it's a weird clock face, you can work that out without going to said clock. Oh my god. But they all had issues even with the clock in front of them. Yeah, that was the one thing I wrote down too, was this clock is the dumbest thing to count because it would apply to every single clock in the world. And is it the North Face? Who asked, is that the North Face? Like, it doesn't matter. Oh my God. Even if you do end up running to the church, you look at all four faces of that clock, you see they're all the same, and then you work out it's 78 because that's 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 plus 6 plus 7 plus 8 plus 9 plus 10 plus 11 plus 12. It's not hard. No. I was thinking maybe production was just wanting to screw with the teams and see how much they overthink counting the clock faces. Oh, we have to count that specific clock, 1 through 12, because of all the other Swiss clocks that are 1 through 13, 1 through 9, 1 through 23. <laughs> Let's make sure it's that specific clock that we're counting. So Ken and Jard are the only ones to pick count the money. The three numbers that they need for Run the Numbers are the number of trees in the Lindenhof with red ribbons tied to them, the number on the back of a statue, and the sum of the numbers on the face of a clock. And nobody can count a clock face. Oh my god. And Ian and Jill have a confrontation here, because Jill is waiting for John Vito to get into the vault, and then Ian says, please don't block, and then Jill says, I'm not blocking, dude, chill out. You can still get by me. I'm not that big. And I'm sure Ian would appreciate being called dude. Well, he called Casper Lay dude. Ian uses the word dude a lot in his, when he's talking to friends and relating to people who, are t who have the perspective of a 25-year-old. 
and Ken and Gerard decide to abort abort and switch to run the numbers. I think we should abort this task, Ken. It did make me laugh because the infamous moment, and I'm hoping I won't get in trouble for actually telling this story, but the infamous moment in my friends and family in the past few months in terms of my work was, because I do a lot of troubleshooting for people, they tend to send me messages on Google Chat, and I got a message out of the blue from someone who messages me a lot because he panics a lot, bless him, saying, the next four words over two messages, hi Michael, red alert. (laughs) He gave me no context to what the massive breaking issue was, which, spoilers, was not an issue in the end, and something he should have dealt with himself. But literally all I got from him was, hi Michael, and then a few seconds later, red alert. (laughs) So now if there's any breaking issues in my family, it's usually, hi Michael, red alert. (laughs) Uh, So John, Vito and Jill are the first to get the three numbers, which are 12, 78 and 50, and teams must now take a train to Grindelwald and search a field where their next clue awaits. And a duel with Dumbledore. Yep. (laughs) I was waiting for someone to do a Harry Potter reference, knowing Grindelwald was going to come up soon. Oh, and then we get funny banter between Terry and Ian at the detour, too, because Terry says, count the trees. And then Ian says, what are we counting? What are we counting, Terry? The trees. (laughs) What are we counting, Terry? The trees. (laughs) It's like, listen. He literally could not see the word for the trees in this detail. (laughs) Oh, and we get a brilliant subtitle from Zach. Well, I don't know if brilliant is the right word, but when he's trying to count, he says... Three plus two plus one equals five. I know. What the hell? And I'm thinking, wow, that's not <laughs> like a, it's not a comprehension issue or Zach's really sucks at math. That's a, I've been traveling on season three of The Amazing Race and this is like number eight issue. Michelle, just out of interest, what ages do you teach up to? I'm six. And can your six-year-olds do three plus two plus one? Um, yes, they can. Just making sure. <laughs> I like how Zach even makes fun of himself at the end of the task where he says, I can't imagine doing count the money like Ken and Gerard were doing. I couldn't even add one through 12. And when Ken and Gerard and Terry and Ian both get back to the vault at the same time, Ken refuses to tell Terry the last number with my favourite phrase of the entire episode, sorry, kisses, bye. <laughs> kisses. It's the fact he adds kisses in there that just makes me laugh every time I see this scene. It's a lot more polite than Derek and Drew's refusal to help Terry and Ian. See, that's the difference between a team like Ken and Gerard and a team like Derek and Drew, is that Ken and Gerard would have definitely gone the friendly route and let Terry and Ian look at the map to figure out how to get to Fusen. And then here, there's another situation where Terry was asking for help, and Ken, very polite, probably the most polite decline of helping another team I've ever seen and say sorry I can't we're the bottom two teams and this could be an elimination leg. Yeah the difference is Ken and Gerard throughout the entire season and throughout the first eight episodes of this season have never gone out of their way to annoy another team because they know they could need another team later on in the race. If they get to a task that is horrendously manual where Ian is going to be really successful and anything that's really practical where Ian's going to be really successful If they fuck him off now, he's just going to turn around and not help them. Whereas Ian, from what we've seen, he might be a bit of a a sourpuss at times and stuff, but he's incredibly loyal. And if they help him out, he will help them out in return in future if he can. 
Ken and Gerard have pinpointed the best tactic in this era of Amazing Race, which is never willingly annoy another team because it can come back to bite you. Even mm. though there's no U-turns or yields yet. Because as soon as you get to a more difficult task, you could be relying on that team who you've previously spurned and who, in Terry and Ian's case, do hold grudges. Yeah, fast forward to leg 11 with the Cyclos when Ken and Gerard need that crucial bit of information. Uh-huh. But Ian's good at things. He's quite very versatile. Well, that's what I mean. As soon as you get to a, a task that requires some sort of manual or very practical skill, Ian is going to be the favourite out of anyone who does it. And he's the sort of person who you definitely want guiding you through an issue like that later on in the race. So you don't annoy him. You let them down gently in this case, and you don't go out of your way like the twins and like John Vito and Jill did to just willfully be horrible towards them knowing that they're going to catch up but is that life experience is that because the brothers are older i think so although kind of gerard weren't that old no but they're just a little bit older so yeah their average age is 37 and a half so they are what about 10 years on average older than the twins and john vito and jill ish yeah give or take they have more Life experience in dealing with other people and what's a good way to get around people if you need to. Yeah. It's just shooting themselves in the foot if they annoy Terry and Ian here, I think. So it's great to see that Ken and Gerard work out how to let them down gently without potentially jeopardising their help in future. We also have Zach making fun of Ken and Gerard too when he's talking to Jill. Because Jill asks Zach, oh, so old brother decided to count the money? And Zach said, uh, I don't know. They boarded. They boarded mission. <laughs> and we get the first time where a team, the first time where a team can truly break away from all the other teams to get to the roadblock or to Grindelwald. And John Vito and Jill miss that train by, this is probably no exaggeration, they miss it by about 10 seconds, maybe less. Yeah, and that pretty much condemns them for the episode, which is hilarious. If Jill didn't have that conversation with Zach, she probably makes the train on time. And they probably win this leg rather than coming in last. Yeah, they definitely win this leg. Because they said they had to now wait a whole hour for everyone else to catch up. So at least this equalizer wasn't exactly intentional. There was definitely space for a team to get an hour jump on everybody. And talking of everyone catching up, everyone gets the same train in the end from Lucerne to Grindelwald Station. And once they get there, they find out it's the roadblock, which is who's ready to take a shot at success. In this roadblock, one team member must recreate the fable of William Tell and use a crossbow to shoot an apple off a child's head, in this case, a mannequin. Yeah, I like how they had to specify it's not a real child that they're <laughs> using for this task. Can you imagine the casting call that came out? Wanted Swiss children to have a crossbow fired at their faces. <laughs> By inexperienced Americans who are sleep-deprived and on a TV show. Yeah, if this was Hammer Oats Lemillion, they probably would have found Swiss children to do that, but it is not Hammer Oats Lemillion. At least they would have been provided with a helmet. Yeah. <laughs> so it is Derek, John Vito, Zach, Ken and Ian doing this roadblock, and Ian is a retired police officer and says he's been at the shooting range a fair few times. Zach responds by saying he did archery at summer camp when he was 12. And Zach, of course, being Zach and being a SWAT, gets it on his first shot. He still got it. So teams must now make their way to the Chalet Arnica, the pit stop for this leg of the race. The last team to check in may be eliminated. 
with a very interesting pit stop greeter. A very interesting pit stop greeter, and interestingly, for the second leg on the trot, we don't hear anyone say the last phrase of that pit stop clue. The the last team to check in may be eliminated. In this mm. case, we also don't hear Phil say the last team to check in may be eliminated. Last episode, wow. we at least had him say will be eliminated. Yeah. And John Vito can't wink with the eye that he needs to fire right-handed, so he has to switch to left-handed. Yeah, that was just weird. How can you not wink in one eye but the other? I don't know, maybe uh, Botox? Yeah, is that a thing? I can't wink in any eye, right? I'm unusual. Michelle, it's fair to say you are unusual. (laughs) But when firing an arrow, I am able to close an eye. It's just weird. You don't even need to close an eye. You just need to hold your hand over your eye. Yeah. Maybe not with a crossbow because you need both hands, but still. <laughs> it's not unusual to wink in any eye. Ba, ba, da, ba, da. <laughs> so it's Ken who leaves in second with Ian in third. And despite Derek's contacts being a bit sticky, he leaves in fourth. And then John Vito and Jill leave the roadblock in last. And they are so high up that Flo struggles to breathe and Zach has to carry her bag. Oh, and we get another brilliant Ian and Terry interaction at the roadblock. Because Ian completes it and he says, Terry, I still got it. I can still shoot. I shot at second arrow. And then Terry says, third, second, third, <laughs> second. I'm thinking, man, I'm glad. No wonder they were last to complete the detour. They can't count. And here we're <laughs> making fun of Zach for not being able to count three plus two plus one. Terry and Ian are struggling over counting either to two or to three. <laughs> Oh, I love Terry and Ian so much. They're just tired. They're so tired. How can anyone watch this episode and not like Terry and Ian? I'm sorry. But the fact that they are just so ridiculous as people is delightful. And when they get to the first bit of barbed wire, Ian says, Oh, Terry, watch your crotch. And then Terry says, Okay, well, you need you need to help me. And Ian does not help her at first. And, and then Terry says, I can't believe it. I'm asking for help, and you're just going to keep running. <laughs> I must admit, I was very tempted to use Watchy Crotch as a, uh, a quote for the uh, for the intro this week, and I thought one or both of you would probably hurt me if I did. And then, uh, what is it? Ian says to Terry next, oh yeah, hop, hop, baby, hop. And then Gerard thinks he's saying hump, and then Gerard says, hump it, hump it, hump it, baby. <laughs> Come on, Terry, hump it, hump. And then Ken says, what is she, a camel? (laughs) And then Ian's really wanting to keep the other teams in sight. He just wants to follow them to the pit stop. And then he keeps telling Terry to keep up. She can't because it's really high up, and I'm guessing their bags aren't exactly light. And then Ian says, oh, I lost the teams because of you, Terry. Thanks. And then Terry responds, you're welcome. Like, I don't give a damn. I can't even walk as my pants are falling down. <laughs> it is probably the iconic title quote of the season is, this is more important than your pants falling down. Yeah. Terry says, yeah, my pants are falling down. And Ian says, this is more important than your pants falling down. You think so? Yeah, I think so. You're not modest. Slightly underrated moment of the episode at this point as well is Ken going face first up a Swiss hill as well. <laughs> That was deep. It's only like a two-second thing in the episode, but it did make me laugh a lot. I know, because I, I just thought, is his face in the grass? 
Oh yeah, he properly face planted. How far did they have to go? Because it was just so stressful watching it. One and a half miles at most. <laughs> but it was it felt like they were going so far and it just went on for so long. Well, it was such a steep hill, the air is so thin. So I think those two factors make the run a lot slower too, because you can't run that fast when you're at that steep of an incline like that, especially the incline that Ken and Gerard attempted by cutting through that field. I'm thinking that is ridiculously <laughs> steep. But then the thing is, nobody except John Vito and Jill even tries hiring a cab. Well, they asked for cabs. They said that locals kept saying, oh, there aren't any cabs around here because Flo kept wanting a cab. And Zach would ask, oh, are there taxis? And locals would say, nope. Well, well, there is, but we see that your girlfriend there is really suffering, so we thought it'd be hilarious to make her to keep running up this hill. We're just thinking of the good TV content, guys. Yeah, we see cameras too. It's funnier if we say no. We're doing a public service here and just making the American public hate flow. I'm curious how long John, Vito, and Jill waited for a cab, because I'm curious how much of a time advantage they really gained by hiring one, instead of just keep running up the hill. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And then I'm amazed just how many times Terry and Ian take over a team, and then Derek and Drew overtake them, Flo and Zach overtake them, then Terry and Ian overtake them. It keeps going. And then Ken and Gerard were in the mix as well until they split through that stairway. They tried to be like they were Zach at the Stonehaven Harbor, find a dirt path that cut through and saved them time. But So Ken and Gerard tried to do the same thing, and it doesn't work out quite as well. I wonder if they went home that night, had a sleep, and they were all having nightmares about running. And trying to get somewhere and they could never get anywhere because it, normally in dreams you never get to the place. It was just a nightmare. So the first team to check in is Derek and Drew, who win a Kodak EasyShare digital camera each. I think this is the final Kodak EasyShare digital camera that's given out for the season, thankfully. Because every team left except John Vito and Jill is 1-1 one, one, or 1-2. <laughs> I think we're back to cruises from next episode. And... Flo hands her bag back to Zach, but then they see the flag, and Flo has this big burst of energy while Zach is carrying two bags. He even says in the confessional, yeah, after Flo hands, hands me your bag, she says, come on, Zach, let's go, come on, what's slowing you down? Other than two, two backpacks in the Swiss Alps. <laughs> but Flo and Zach do checking in second, then Terry and Ian, who are old but bold, checking in third, and then Ken and Gerard meet their absolute nemesis, Goats. Goats, barbed wire, and steep inclines. Yeah, but they check in fourth, leaving John Vito and Jill to check in last. But Phil doesn't even give them any suspense. It's a non-elimination leg, and they are racing on to the next leg. And Jill nearly collapses. It's the closest anybody's come to collapsing at the mat without following through and collapsing. So next time, teams reach new heights, Terry falls off a bike on purpose, Derek and Drew fight again, and Flo has just an ever so slightly little tantrum. Just a little. There's a lot of confrontation next round. We get one of my favourite Flo tantrums ever next week. Uh, I would like to add that we, we do get a zoomed out shot of Ken and Gerard and, and John Vio and Jill running to the pit stop mat. So there is probably only 20 seconds of separation between them, if not maybe even less. And it's funny because out of the first seven legs, we have five eliminations that are absolute blowouts where the last place team isn't even remotely close to the second to last place team. And here in episode eight, we have a leg where 
teams are close. It's a close foot race. But the viewers at home and the contestants know this has to be a non-elimination leg because we still have three non-eliminations to go through by final three, and we only have five teams left. Yeah, next leg, the teams depart 13 minutes apart over all five of them, and Ken and Gerard and John Vito and Jill depart one minute apart. Yeah, because they checked in seconds apart. <laughs> it's yeah. It's, if any leg deserved to be a non-elimination, though, out of all eight legs... It was definitely this one because there were so many equalizers. So have you guys got anything else you want to say about this episode? No. Nice quick one for us. Yeah. As I said at the beginning, I was thinking it was going to be under an hour for us to record this one because there is just a lot of chat between the teams. Mm. So thank you for listening to our Amazing Race Recap. We'll be back next week to recap episode number nine. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are, RTV Warriors. I can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at Luxakwaki. Michelle is bear three 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 three. And I'm MJ Harmstone. Logan and I are also back every Wednesday for VSTML Oregon. This week, we are once again joined by a friend of the podcast, David Bindley. See you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next episode. Bye.